Today's Dead Idea? Well, this is part three of our epic series on cuneiform, the world's first writing system developed in ancient Mesopotamia. And today, we're continuing our role-playing game to give you a maximally immersive experience. And today, we're taking you back to ancient Mari. Mari is a land in the northwest Fertile Crescent region from which a vast store of cuneiform letters have been recovered, giving us a particularly vivid picture of life there. That's what we're talking about today on Dead Ideas. Hey, thanks for listening, everybody. The music we just heard was composed by Rachel Westoff, who was tickled when I bent down on one knee before her, but whose joy turned to dismay when she realized I had knelt down only to get a look at the clay tablet poking through the dust beneath her feet. A cuneiform letter from ancient Mari. Mari me. Uh, <laughs> oh, the worst one ever. Yeah, I don't think you can say you like me high puns anymore. That's a, that's a new low for the show. Yeah, wow. <laughs> okay, I'm BT Newberg. You can call me Brandon. With me once again are my co-hosts, Anna. Struck by the weapon! And you're to blame! <laughs> and Nick. <laughs> How do you follow that? <laughs> I, I don't think I can. This is going to be a jokeless intro. I'm sorry, folks. All right. All right. Nick failed his role. I did. And could not think of a pun. All right. So um, before we get started with today, we're going to do something special that we haven't done in a while. We have not done a toast to our supporters on Patreon in a while. So let's do that today. Okay, so get your beer ready, guys. Mm -hmm. So um, in keeping with the theme of this series, we are going to do this old school. And by that, I mean really old school, uh, Sumerian style. And the Sumerians loved their beer. It was barley beer brewed without hops. They had numerous varieties, including dark beer, clear beer, freshly brewed beer, and well-aged beer, as well as sweet and bitter beers, according to the cuneiform texts. Hmm. They brewed it with a kind of beer bread called bapir, and then they would drink it out of a large communal pot or vat using a straw with a perforated end to act as a filter. So staff and laborers would be given rations of beer, believe it or not, between one quart and one gallon per day, depending on their rank. One gallon? Mm-hmm. One gallon. If you're a high-ranking uh, staff or laborer. Ah, I was thinking the lower rank, you had the more beer you needed. <laughs> well, I don't know. I guess they had it backwards. They they were still trying things out back yeah. then. Yeah. You work with math and you're doing a lot of physical labor. <laughs> beer was brewed by women, at least until the time of Hammurabi. And actually, brewing was associated with female gods. There's even a myth where the goddess Inanna gets the god Enki, the god of wisdom, to give her all his cultural treasures, called the May, by getting him super drunk. That's how she kind of, like, deceives him. And when he wakes up, he's like, what the? What have I done? He's like, oh, shit. And he tries to get them back, but it's actually too late. And that's, like, the origin story of how she got control of, like, all these, like, special wisdom treasures. So, long story short, the Sumerians loved their beer. So much so that they even had a goddess of beer. Her name was Ninkasi. Ninkasi, yep. Yeah, oh, you knew that. I have to look up the recipes. Oh, yeah, right. All of which come from the Hinton Kasi. Exactly. Which is going to be our toast for today. Ah. So today's toast will be the Hymn to written down around 1800 BCE, but probably much older in origin. 
and which actually gives their Sumerian recipe for beer. So homebrewers out there, get a pen and paper or a stylus and a clay tablet because <laughs> this should be good. Yeah, well, you love to So uh, you guys were in charge of getting the beer for today, and we couldn't find anybody that actually provided an actual recreation of the Sumerian beer. So we just had to go with something that was kind of along the lines and a lot of recipes and the Sumerian like cuisine had coriander in them. So what are we drinking today? It's called <clears throat> New Belgium Triple. It's a Belgian-style ale. It's got coriander in it, and I have finished most of my beer. Yeah, so yeah, we, actually, we actually broke into the beers in the break between our last episode and this one, recording it, and uh, admit a little buzzed. So this will be kind of an interesting episode. But I have to say, like, I've been kind of uh, feeling bad that we haven't, like, reviewed any beer that we thought was not good. And I thought this was going to be the one with all that coriander in it. And all the, you guys said all the reviews of it said that there was, like, way too much coriander. But actually, I kind of like this. I actually kind of liked it, too. Anyway, let's let's get our drinking straws ready and drink from the traditional vat. Um, so this hymn is dedicated to all of our Patreon supporters. If you give us at least $1 on Patreon, you get a toast like this. So this goes out to Clint Bohati. Woo! Julian Burnick. Yeah! Brian Beard. Yeah! Jen Graneman. Yeah! Andre Solo. Yeah! Rachel Westhoff. Yeah! And our very own Anna Bratton. Who the hell's that? <laughs> Fuck that. All right. So this is the hymn to Ninkasi, the Miguel Civil translation. As it goes like this. Born of the flowing water, tenderly cared for by the Nin Hersog. Born of the flowing water, tenderly cared for by the Nin Hersog. Having founded your town by the sacred lake, she finished its great walls for you. Ninkasi, having founded your town by the sacred lake, she finished its walls for you. Milwaukee? Your, <laughs> your father is Enki, Lord Nidimud. Your mother is Ninti, the queen of the sacred lake. Ninkasi, your father is Enki, Lord Nidimud. Your mother is Ninti, the queen of the sacred lake. Like Michigan? <laughs> you are the one who handles the dough when with a big shovel, mixing in a pit the bapir with sweet aromatics. Ninkasi, you are the one who handles the dough and with a big shovel, mixing in a pit the bapir with date honey. You are the one who bakes the bapir in the big oven, puts in order the piles of hulled grains. Ninkasi, you are the one who bakes the bapir in the big oven, puts in order the piles of hulled grain. She's the big bapir. <laughs> She's got a big bapir. You are the Your one. mama's bapir so big. <laughs> <laughs> you are the one who waters the malt set on the ground. The noble dogs keep away even the potentates. Ninkasi, you are the one who waters the malt set on the ground. The noble dogs keep away even ah! the potentates. Ah! You are the one who soaks in the, the malt in a jar. The waves rise, the waves fall. Ninkasi, you're the one who soaks the malt in the jar. The waves rise, the waves fall. Your mama bob here is so big, the waves rise and the waves fall every time she goes into Lake Michigan. (laughs) You're the one who spreads the cooked mash on large reed mats. Coolness overcomes. Ninkasi, you're the one who spreads the cooked mash on large reed mats. Coolness overcomes. You're the one who holds with both hands the great sweet wart. Brewing it with honey and wine. You the sweet wart to the vessel, Ninkasi. You the sweet wart to the vessel. The filtering vat, which makes a pleasant sound, <laughs> you, <laughs> you place the appropriately on a large collector vat. 
Ninkasi, the filtering vat, which makes a pleasant sound, you place appropriately on a large collector vat. So make sure you get that part right when you try to recreate this. And then you listen to it in your living room as it burbles for the next two weeks. When you, when you pour out the filtered beer of the collector vat, it is like the onrush of Tigris and Euphrates. Ninkasi, you are the one who pours out the filtered beer of the collector vat. It is like the onrush of the Tigris and Euphrates. In that it's brown. <laughs> and it smells funny. And that is the hymn to Ninkasi. So, I expect all you listeners to have your homebrews going at least by next week. I'm giving you homework. Send your best examples of the following to... <laughs> if you want Bapir recipes, you can find it on the internet. If you know how to actually... <laughs> Do mashes and sparges and things? Let us know, because we don't. We need noble dogs. Do you have noble dogs? We don't like potentates. <laughs> All right, should we get on to our actual episode? That wasn't. <laughs> All right, let's do this. So we've been talking about the world's oldest known system of writing, cuneiform, which is the one with the wedge-shaped lines impressed into clay tablets, which once tried, pretty much last for time immemorial, which is why we know so much about these ancient cultures. So anyway, I don't know if I'd want the people of the future to have all our tweets and posts. I mean, I can just imagine future archaeologists digging up the comments from our YouTube videos these days and being like... These people the... had many opinions about the war and the stars. I know, right? They're like, they dig it up and they're like, Ducky Diaper 6 9 writes boobs. What does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not exactly a testament to the best and the brightest of our age, but anyway, that How is pretty much... How does the Control-Alt-Delete relate to the Alt-Right? <laughs> right. That's good. But anyway, that's pretty much what we have from ancient Mari. Archaeologists have turned up a royal archive of letters transmitting to posterity the correspondence of the royalty and court of this ancient city-state. And most of them are pretty decorous and royal and stuff, but there's some pretty good ones too, which we've already heard some of. So anyway, today we are continuing our role-playing game, which today will be set in Mari using a lot of these letters to help flesh out our world. And by the way, all of these letters and all of the literature that is quoted today will be historical. I will have to fill in some of the details of the world and the people, of course, but all the quoted literature and letters are direct from the sources. Okay, so a little recap. Mari is located on the Euphrates River in modern-day Syria, close to the border with Iraq, which you can see on the custom-generated map created by our in-house cartographer Adam McKithern at www.ideas.net. Like the rest of the Middle East region at the time, Mari was a city-state, and in the time period of focus today, roughly 1768 BCE, it had risen to regional hegemony so that it held dominance over many other surrounding city-states in the northwest Fertile Crescent region with local rulers owing vassalage to the king of Mari. Mari is currently allied with Babylon at this time, who is itself starting to gain hegemony in the central and southern crescent region, largely under the leadership of its king, Hammurabi. Mari is currently aiding Hammurabi in his war against the Elamites. Fucking Elamites! <laughs> Nick and Anna's characters, which we heard last time, have just graduated from the Adeba, or scribal school, and Hammurabi has declared that they are to be sent as gifts to his ally, the king of Mari, Zimri Lim. So Mari needs women. <laughs> let's get a quick recap of your characters' names and personalities. 
So we'll start with uh, Teen Wonder. I forgot already. Anna. What was your character's name? Anna Gulsus. Um, did we have it? Written? Anna Galshu, I think. Anna Galshu, yes. Yeah. Hello, Anna yes. Galshu, yes. Yeah. Uh, I came from a family of scribes. I'm third generation. I don't know if it's really what I want to do with my life. I write a lot of <laughs> fan fiction about uh, being a three-headed dragon, but I sort of know it backwards and forwards. But do I really understand anything? I don't know. That's why I want to be a dragon. <laughs> very, very good summary. Uh, okay, and then we had a country kid. Karahardas is really excited because now that he's graduated, he never has to shovel sheep shit again. He just gets to go and be a slave to the King of Mari. Right, because you grew up in a farming family that managed to scrape together enough dough to send you to school. Mm-hmm. And you're moving on up. I'm moving on up. Yes. Yes. Very good. And uh, in our last episode, uh, you won a poetry slam battle, basically, a disputation that you guys wrote um, Bread versus Beer, where you represented beer. Hell yeah. And your school rival, Shuldi, the booger boy, um, represented bread. And you actually won that. So Sounds like a bad oil punk band name. Yeah. The booger yeah. boys. Booger boys. <laughs> yeah. Blue moon, you told me. Okay. So you always expected... That you would join the bureaucracy in the great ziggurat of Babylon, but this order from Hammurabi has turned your world upside down. Mari is a strange land far, far away. You have seen the Mariot traders. That's what I looked up the adjective is. M-A-R-I-O-T-E. So hmm. almost... Oh, Mariot, sure. Yeah, almost like the hotel there. It's kind of <laughs> weird. So, Mariot... Yeah. God, look at the cute little soaps they give you. <laughs> oh my god, it's in the shape of a ziggurat. I feel so, so alienated not being back at Radisson anymore. <laughs> Onward and upward, this is what a career scribe to Matt, diplomat, scribing <laughs> life of. So you've seen Marriott traders and heard their difficult to understand dialect of Acadian. And you're kind not... of like Anna's difficult to understand dialect after she's had a beer. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, New Belgium Triple. Yeah. Um, you're not looking forward to the challenge of trying to t- transcribe that dialect into cuneiform without <laughs> making mistakes. But moreover, you may never see your family again. And this is, of course, an age when the family, not the individual, was the social unit. So this does represent a significant rupture for you. Freedom. But nevertheless, Hammurabi's word is law. Yeah, if you had all that pressure like you did, yeah. you wonder. Yeah. Maybe it's a good thing to kind of get out of freedom from the thumb chores. of your parents. Yeah, we're... we're yeah, you guys are actually okay, aren't you? City. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so, um, so as far as Hammurabi, Hammurabi is, of course, known for the Code of Hammurabi, supposedly the world's first code of laws, but interestingly, it was neither the first nor a code. Lipit Ishtar of Isin had actually created a code earlier, and both of them were actually more collections of legal precedents and case studies rather than codified laws, per se. Hmm. So, just a little factoid. Kind of interesting. Anyway, Hammurabi's word is law, and so your fate is sealed. You are to go to Mari. You load up what worldly possessions that you may have into a sheepskin sack and prepare to depart the gates of Babylon, perhaps never to see them again. And of course, when our fate is sealed, he means that very literally. Our fate is written, these two scribes are going to the city of Mari on a cuneiform tablet and sealed with a golden seal. Which you won. From mm-hmm. winning the, the contest last time, yes. Yeah. So that definitely comes with you. Language, that's how it works. Yep. But, before you depart the city, you receive a summons. 
and this cuneiform letter summons bears the cylinder seal impression of the king himself, Hammurabi, you are to report to the palace immediately and discreetly. Hmm. Hmm. Does that mean separately or unobtrusively? That's up to you to interpret, I guess. Which version of discreet? In any case, (laughs) you make it to the palace. Discreet, discreet, that's me and both. (laughs) (laughs) You are taken inside through a side entrance and shuffled through what appear to be lesser-used hallways. In my case, I assume it means they were a slightly longer kilt than usual. Hmm. Well, you are higher status now. Exactly. You've probably I bought some new digs. Now yeah. your lettuce is concealed. You've bought mm-hmm. some new threads. Um, you are shuffled through a lesser-used hallway, and then left in a dim chamber to wait for the king. And, of course, again, you're wondering, why you, fledgling scribes, barely graduated... So young, you're, you know, you still pace, you know, your acne has barely cleared up. <laughs> you know, you're, uh, about 20 years old. What could the king want with you, right? So, I mean, it's like, did you forget to return your library book? Did he not actually like your bread versus beer disputation? Or what was it? God, he found my Did he take it personally? Did you think you were talking about his mama? <laughs> <laughs> so finally, the door opens and in strides the king. Again, in his long oiled beard with a towering golden mitre atop his head. And one look from this hard, grizzled, war veteran politician sends shivers down your spine. I think that's the king. <laughs> he slowly circles around you, looking over looking you over head to toe, and then he addresses you. Who is your king? Some guy called Hamabarabi, sir. And to what city do you owe your lives? Uh, Babylon. Then your king and your city command you. You will go to Mari as gifts to my ally Zimri Lin and his capable queen Shiptu, and you will serve him in every way, but you will also serve me. I want you to report back to me, by means of coded letters, everything you can find out about Mari's defenses and the loyalty of its nobles. Whatever weakness you may find, you will report to me. Is that understood? Understood, sir. Uh. (laughs) Make no mistake. I could send someone older, someone more experienced, someone more skilled in the tablet, someone who knows of military matters, but if I did, Zimri Lim would be suspicious. Oh, we're expendable! (laughs) Whereas you, he chuckles, You are perfect. No one shall suspect you two of anything. (laughs) He then dismisses you, and you are given two weeks of essentially basic training for spies. You get a crash course in military matters and political structures. You are taught how to use numbers to encode and decode messages, just as the priests do for their most jealously guarded arcane secrets. They actually did that. Are we cross-classing now? (laughs) We are. Finally, you are each given a bronze dagger and taught to use it, how to conceal it in your garb, how to defend yourself with it, and how to sneak up behind someone and stealthily dispatch them to to the gray mists of the netherworld. Yeah. You get the full nine yards. Sounds like it. (laughs) Just like my fan fiction. (laughs) And then you set off to Mari. The journey spans roughly 150 miles, or 240 kilometers, 
and takes about two weeks by cart or by foot, following the Euphrates northwest farther than you've ever gone before over lands you have never seen but have only heard about. And finally, you reach the city of Mari. It is a river city, much like Babylon, but its outer wall ringing around the city surprisingly forms nearly a perfect circle, bisected by a human-dug canal which connects the city to the nearby river. And as you pass inside the gates, you find the streets also laid out in strangely neat geometric lines. Dear boss, there is a moat. (laughs) (laughs) And you figure that this must be because, as you heard in your training, Mari is actually an intentionally founded city rather than something that just organically grew up from like fishing villages and stuff over time. Mm -hmm. It was actually like they came there and was like, this would be a great place to trade. Let's build a city here. So they laid it out kind of like Phoenix, Arizona or something where it's all like a grid and stuff like that. Yeah. The little prompt button said, this would be a great place to start a new city. Press S if. (laughs) Right. Exactly. That's the, that's the civ advisor. (laughs) Okay. So it, this gives you a little bit of a strange feeling. It's just kind of like a little too neat. It's almost like a recreation city or like a amusement park or like a Disneyland or something. Um, And then passing through the streets, you hear all around you that strange Marriott dialect. Imagine, I mean, it's it's, kind of like imagining, you can imagine finding yourself in Cajun country or something and trying to like wrestle with that kind of an accent all around you all of a sudden. Um, That's what it's like for your characters. And you're overwhelmed by the oddities of the place that are not so different from back home, but just enough to kind of unsettle you, you know? And the fashions here are a bit peculiar. Um, I'm going to show you a picture, actually, of a Marriott woman. Okay, so what does it look like? Freedom. (laughs) Looks like an owl with a really large top hat. (laughs) It looks like a top hat or like a Mad Hatter hat or something. Something really, just really huge, like almost... um, Alice in Wonder-like. It looks something trippy, like it would be on the side of like one of those really bad beer brews that come out of like... Listeners, you can see this at our website. We'll definitely put it up. So this headdress is called a polos. And I think, again, that's a Greek word, that's not the Greek, actual yeah. Mesopotamian mm-hmm. word. But um, it, it looks something like a large Mad Hatter hat. And um, that's kind of the fashion currently for women. Meanwhile, the city's patron deity is not Marduk like you're used to in Babylon but a relatively unfamiliar god called Mur, And perhaps most disturbingly of all, you find that the head of the local pantheon is a half-fish, half-man creature called Dagon. <gasps> ah. Oh my god. Yeah. This is what I wanted. And Dagon's priests wear a peculiar fish costume spanning their whole body. Oh, scales. And oh. Uh, listeners, you can see a picture of that because I actually drew a portrait of listener Adam Berry as a Dagon. They're covered priest, in scales. So. It's so hot. Oh my god, the dragon men. Ah. <laughs> um, you manage to find your way through the city till you encounter some local bureaucrats who, reading the cuneiform letter sent with you by Hammurabi, then escort you to the palace, a momentous mud brick structure replete with color and spectacle. Many servants in clothing much finer than yours eye you up as you are led into the palace and through the halls. Finally, you are shown to the closed doors of the chamber hall of King Zimri Lim, and you are told to wait outside. I bet he's a dragon. (laughs) Think about it. 
Then, from inside the chamber, you hear two female voices. Mother, how could you? He is a loyal vassal and deserves no less a reward. He's a good match for you. And what of my sister, already his wife? What of it? Shall I be her servant, then? A pitiable second wife cowering before her? No more of this, child. There has already been enough delay. The wedding was supposed to be tonight. Well, shall I do her laundry? Shall I wash her feet? Enough! You shall do your duty to the city of Mari. I would rather die. And just then the doors burst open, startling you, and out flees a sour teenage girl in opulent dress. Do you like dragons? (laughs) And after her glares an older woman in regal attire and an enormous crown like a version of that polos headdress but gilded and studded with lapis lazuli. Her withering gaze follows the girl out dispassionately and then alights upon you. Ah, you must be the gifts from Hammurabi, she says. She eyes you up and down fastidiously (laughs) and looks decidedly displeased at Kara Hardas. Genuflect, it seems to be the safest thing. Genuflect, yeah, genuflect. Yeah. Okay, so you, you bow or whatever. Bow. Yeah. I, I, in figurines, I've often seen kind of like bureaucrat-looking people kind of holding their hands over their chest in like a clasped kind sort of, of like fashion. Sort of martial arts. Kind of, almost Sweet like thing. that. Yeah. Almost like that, crack. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know if, what that is actually a symbol of, but it seems like probably something. I'll, like I'll try it and I'll bow. Yeah. Anyway. So she looks you over and says, Hmm, I asked for two female scribes for my two daughters. Hmm. Hammurabi fulfills but half my request. Perhaps my husband should lend but half the army he now leads on campaign for him. Hmm. Alas, it is the lot of a woman, even a queen, to be half heard. Clearly the Babylonians, not unlike the Marriotts, place but half their trust in our sex. Are you but half scribes as well? I am a full scribe, but I don't mind teaching daughters. <laughs> I am sufficiently good at my craft that I can compensate moreover twice for this one. There was a dearth of female scribes in our town. Hmm. Yeah, we shall see if what we can do about that in our reign, shall we not? <laughs> yes. Oh my god, <laughs> she's great. And then she addresses you once again. So you, Munis Dubsar, what shall we do with him? And remember, Munis Dubsar is the name for the female scribe. Yeah. Yes. Dubsar for the male scribe, right? <clears throat> what shall we do with him? And gestures at Carhartis. He's steadfast, loyal, and has no imagination, so I'm sure you can find some good use for him, sir. Ma'am. Mm. Well, it sounds like he'll be good at taking direction, at least. Oh, yes. <laughs> See? And then she addresses you. And what of you, Dubsar? Does she speak well or ill? Perhaps it is she that I should send packing. Insofar as she speaks well of me, ma'am, she speaks well. <laughs> That's actually pretty good. That seems authentic to what they might have actually said. <laughs> well, in any case, the time is unripe to reject Hammurabi's gifts. You shall have to suffice, both of you. Let us forget the matter. I am, after all, in urgent need of scribes, as the last were swallowed by the river in a trial by ordeal. Uh... Does that happen often now? <laughs> <laughs> you, Munis Dubsar. You will serve as a scribe for my daughter Simatu, wife of our vassal, King Hayasumu of Ilonsara. I live to serve, great lady. Well, you should. Which leaves you, Dubsar, to be the scribe for my other daughter, Kiru, 
whom you just had the pleasure of seeing depart this chamber. I accept unworthy though I am. <laughs> uh, now go. Graciously. I am tired. Okay. Oh, wait, she says, reconsidering, a smile playing across her lips. Take a dictation, both of you. I shall dictate a letter, and the faster of you shall sleep in a bed fit for a king tonight, the other in a sheep pen. Ha, ha. Yes, prepare your tablets. Okay. You brought some clay and some water to wet it with and a stylus. And then the queen swiftly begins dictating a highly formal and decorous letter to her true friend and exalted one, Hammurabi, thanking him for his generous gift. Okay, so now I'm just going to... So are we speed... going to do this against each other? Exactly. Mm. Yes. All right. So you're going to do a rock, paper, raven against each other. Good thing I'm used to sheep pens. Yeah. <laughs> Two, three, cats. Oh, why do I always forget you go with rock? <laughs> <laughs> ah, the country kid wins against the teen wonder. I threw it. I threw it because I know that I'm already sort of in her good graces and that for the sake of the mission, <laughs> um, it's important to see, make him seem like he's actually slightly good at something. Well, so despite the fact that I do a great job, a great job, I, I make it also seem like he's slightly better. So. Okay. Good she, job supporting the party. Yeah. Sheep pens aren't as bad as you think. <laughs> uh, good. Anyway, she's uh, she does a <laughs> to the uh, the dubsar that she may have underestimated. Many people do that. <laughs> then she says, "Rest well, both of you. Ha ha ha! Tomorrow you will join my daughter's wedding caravan to Ilansara, where her destiny awaits, and yours as well." Thank you, great lady. And with that, she dismisses you. The winner, uh, dubsar here, uh, Karahardas is shown to a room with layers upon layers of sheep tufts on the bed, so soft that you can scarcely believe that you are not lying atop a cloud. It's like laying on the whole flock. (laughs) (laughs) All together. Um, but actually, that night when you try to sleep on it, you're probably so unaccustomed to that that you toss and turn and yeah. can't hardly get to sleep. But it's nice. Meanwhile, the loser, our Munastavsar, um, uh, Anagalshu, uh, you sleep in the hard dirt and excrement of a sheep pen. This with... is what I wanted! <laughs> it's still within the palace grounds, but it's like kind of, you know, outside the kitchen. And Everything's whatever. fine! Yeah. <laughs> a most humble bed. Okay. <laughs> It's so, not so bad, is it? Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> so, um, Karahardas, mm-hmm. you are sleeping on your cloud-like bed in the middle of the night. Or you're, you're trying to sleep there, at least. When you are awakened by a soft voice whispering, <gasps> Psst, you, Dubsar, come. You're going to get seduced. <laughs> All right, I, I will come. All right. I you open the door. like that. It is Kiru, the young daughter, the queen's daughter, and soon to be bride of Hayasumu, and she is covered head to toe in a very shabby looking cloak, not at all appropriate to a princess, with a hood pulled low over her face, and she leads you out of the palace grounds. As you pass through the common grounds, we'll switch quick now to our other character here, okay. Anagalshu. You also being awoken in the middle of the night by too much, like, sheeps licking your face or whatever a sheep would do. Uh, (laughs) No, Uh, no. Incessant bleeding. No. Apparently counting sheep does not put you to sleep. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, being awake in the middle of the night, you notice a very familiar looking Kaunakas go by, uh, along with a shabby looking 
cloaked girl who walks far too straight to be a commoner. She just has a gait that looks like royalty. Hmm. So that is highly unusual. Why would these two be walking together in the middle of the night out of the palace? So I'll let you do whatever you think your character would do there. I'm getting nibbled by sheep. I don't know if anything's up or not, but the alternative is having this thing chewing on me. <laughs> Shut <laughs> up. No. So what are you going to do? I, f- I follow them. God in heaven. Just get off. <laughs> no. All right. You follow a safe distance behind. Wait, where's my seal? My secondary so... NPC, the sheep, is going to follow her. <laughs> okay. You have a sheep retainer. Sheep has joined point. the party. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, back to uh, Kara Hardis and uh, Kiru. So she leads you through the town to a common inn where she enters and pays a trinket to the innkeeper. And like I said, they already have shekels by this time, but it's a measure of, it's not a coin yet, it's a measure of barley. So I don't know hmm. how you would pay for common things. I just assume that there's got to be some kind of workout some, item. Yeah. So whatever that would be, she hands it over. And then the innkeeper... Shows you to a shadowy and private room and <gasps> closes the door. And she says, Now we can talk alone. Dubsar, I need you to help me. I am to be married tomorrow. He already has a wife, my very own sister. But she has not yet borne him a child. Therefore, she will see me with my fertile womb as a threat and will try to get rid of me. And she draws her thumb across her neck like a dagger across the throat. My only hope is to conceive a child so that Hayasumu, our husband, will be pleased and will protect me from her. But I must do so quickly, immediately, and with certainty. That now the priest has read the omens and foretold that it must be tonight or never. You see, this was to be my wedding night. And perhaps, in a way, it still may be. Therefore, I employ you, Dubsar. Help me. <gasps> oh. Show me the stylus, and I will show you the clay. Oh. <laughs> what do you do? I'm taking notes for my fan fiction from the window. Just <laughs> keep going. Make it look natural. Tis stylus. Okay, I'm keep putting that in there. I don't want to pull a Joseph here. I can't interpret dreams. <laughs> Just don't pull an Onan. We're fine. Okay. <laughs> God. <laughs> Are you sure we were not followed here, my, my lady? I did not notice anyone, did you? Did I? Let's find out. All right. Um. So you're not the sneaky, thievy guy. So no. you just neither disadvantage Straight. nor advantage. Right. Okay. So if we tie, that means we go again. Okay. All right. Rock, paper, raven, shoot. So you won. So you did notice. Mm. Does that mean they actually noticed that, that it was... You saw that she was following, yes. Okay. And having considering that she's kind of covered in the filth of a sheep pen <laughs> and followed by a sheep, yeah, you can you can definitely tell even in the darkness who that probably is. I'm standing on the sheep to get to the window. <laughs> Don't worry. Tell her her hair looks amazing. <laughs> You're gonna Cyrano de Bergerac this one. All right. Princess, your hair looks amazing. <laughs> oh, well, why, thank you. Tell her she looks as amazing and radiant as a platinum dragon. <laughs> you look amazing and radiant like a divine creature. Oh, like a dragon? 
dragon! God damn it! <laughs> yes, like the most beautiful of silvery fish. Oh god, what have I gotten myself into? That's what you're gonna do. So, when it comes down to it, do you go through with it or not? I'll probably be killed either way, so sure, I'm 20. <laughs> <laughs> Spoken like a true 20-year-old. <laughs> Guys, slow down, I need to get notes. Very well. Alright, so, um, the next morning, the caravan departs with blustery trumpets for Ilansura. Kiru God, is I hope there aren't Babylonian distinguishing features from the kids born. <laughs> <laughs> hey, this is a dark-haired kid. <laughs> That was the Sumerians was who called Sumerian. themselves oh, right. the black-headed people. Yeah. <laughs> the, Although, this, the Babylonians were Semitic, yeah. much like the Mariites. I was told to raise my family stock however I could, so... Kiru is carried on a litter and covered in a full-body veil. Professional mourners wail in grief for her departure from the city. Both of those details I'm inferring from later culture. Mm-hmm. Actually, it was very difficult actually to find actual wedding customs. We'll get into that a little bit later. Anyway, a dozen attendants and another dozen foot soldiers, along with yourselves, travel out of the gates of Mari and begin down the road. The stones in the path molest your feet and the sun beats down, but having seen what you saw yesterday, it is the least of your worries for both of you. Why is the sheep still here? (laughs) (laughs) Now, um, as an aside, the actual location of Ilansura is as of yet unknown so far to archaeology but it's it was likely somewhere in the relative vicinity of mari if the king of it is a vassal of the king of mari so um ilansura is smaller than mari but similar in custom and when you arrive you are shown to your respective quarters and not invited to the wedding apparently it is for nobility and high status officials alone Why does the sheep get to go? No, the sheep doesn't get to go. However, you do hear that it was a fitting spectacle. Do I get to include this in the letter to Hammurabi? I'm just asking, man. (laughs) Like I said, it was was hard to find actual details of of wedding customs, surprisingly. Um, We just haven't found those tablets yet, apparently. But we do know that the main phases of going through a marriage um, kind of negotiation and the whole process... Starts with engagement and marriage contract, which is what it's all about, as in almost all cultures throughout history, except for our current one. It was about business mm-hmm. and family alliances. Negotiated by nuns. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. See, I haven't done enough reading about the business nuns to know if they're actually business nuns yet, yeah. but I, that's something to come. We're definitely going to talk about them later in a later episode. Anyway, um, after the engagement and marriage contract, um, there would be the payment of the families of the bride and groom to each other, the dowry and the bride price. Mm-hmm. So it goes both ways, and that's culture. Then there is a ceremony or feast. After that comes the bride moving to her father-in-law's home. And finally, there is the consummation of the marriage uh, with the bride expected to be a virgin on her wedding night and to become pregnant quickly thereafter. Mm-hmm. In any case, you soon settle into your new roles as scribes for the two princesses. Hayasumu is different to Simatu in accordance with her status as first wife, but he is positively doting upon Kiru, and everyone sees it. You can just hear the grinding of Simatu's teeth, but there's nothing that she can do about it for now. The hell she can't. Older sisters can always ruin the younger sister's life. Well, you just wait. After a few weeks... (laughs) After a few weeks... 
Hayasumu is ordered to go to Mari to raise and train fresh troops to reinforce Zimri Lim in Hammurabi's war against the Elamites. Fucking Elamites. Fucking Elamites. <laughs> and this leaves Simatu and Kiru alone to rule the roost. And things get, shall we say, awkward. Munastubsar calls Simatu to Anagalshu. Yes, great lady who's beloved of everyone mm. and awesome and has great hair. Mm. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you noticed. <laughs> she calls you from the courtyard uh, and she says, Come quickly and bring a stylus, the sharpest stylus you have. Ooh, okay. You find your mistress, Simatu, in the courtyard garden. She is a tall, lith woman. Is that how you say it? Lith or lithe? So. I'm never sure. Lissom. Lissom is good. Yeah. Did she just ask you to bring a delta? No, it's sharp. God. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Men. She is a tall, lith woman with black hair and coal-lined eyes and reeking of unguents. Ooh. She is never without her favorite servant girl, Allah, who stands beside her. But this time, there is another... She has with her a scarred young man with rippling pecs mm. and a dark, foreign-looking complexion, possibly Elamite. Fucking Elamites! Fuck Elamites. <laughs> he stares down at his feet, barely hiding a rage that clearly boils inside him, but which he manages to keep in check. So we've turned into a bottle stripper now. Oh my. <laughs> she eyes <laughs> his ferocity with marked pleasure. Ooh. What do you think of my new gardener, she asks. He has come as a gift from the front. I would say, my lady, he seems to be a magnificent specimen, and I'm guessing he's really going to rip up that head pretty good. <laughs> come now, make quick with the stylus. Yes, my I lady. need you to write quickly. Right. And a vial of blue ink is brought. Ooh, wait, ink? Ink. Ink! Mm. And the dark-skinned gardener, after a moment's hesitation, oh, slowly dear. turns to bear his naked back to you and oh, braces himself against a fountain. God! Oh, boy! Oh, boy! Now, oh. write upon him in oh. as many languages as you know that oh. he is the property of Simatu of Ilansara. Quickly! Okay, um, so that's Sumerian, Akkadian, and dragon. <laughs> okay, sorry, guy. <laughs> no, shut up. Okay, um, um, so... Let's make a test to see how legibly and how well in the other languages you can do. This episode, you haven't failed at anything yet, yet, right? No. Okay, so um, you have advantage because this is scribal stuff. Okay. Okay? Rock, paper, raven, shoot. Oh. Oh, you lost. Damn okay, it. so it, this is the first time you've ever, like, done a skin scroll kind of a thing. I'm just working in clay, my lady. Which actually was a thing, believe it or not. I'm huh. afraid of that. Tattooing these slaves like this in um, different languages. Okay. So it's it's not very legible, but as mm -hmm. long as it's there, she's she seems to be satisfied. I'll practice on this more. We'll shave the goat. Then <laughs> you hear a younger voice barge into the courtyard. What are you doing? Um, and the other princess, Kiru, says, that slave was intended for me! Oh, um, I... He bore no letter of receipt, says Simatu, and as you can see, he is clearly marked. He was a wedding gift, says Kiru. Come off it, your wedding is long past. But father, watch yourself, girl, unless, of course, you wish to challenge my authority as first wife. Oh, boy. And at that point, Kiru fumes, but she holds her tongue. And finally, collecting herself, she retreats in measured, deliberate steps back into the hall. Meanwhile, the newly branded slave gardener catches eyes with you, Hi. Anagalshu. I'm sorry. 
and his gaze seems both defiant and pleading at the same time. I'm sorry, you fucking Amakai, I'm sorry. <laughs> and uh, at that point, Simatu, with a smug and satisfied look, goes back into the uh, hall, and you are left with uh, the slave in the courtyard. Fucking Elamites. Sorry, man. Fucking Elamite, I'm sorry. Um, here, you let me get some Bactine. We get some dung or something? He says, in a, in a very, very thick accent, um, this is clearly, Kankadian is not his native language, and Elamite is unrelated. It's not even a Semitic tongue. He says, it is not your fault. I know. You were following orders. I don't intend to be here long. Oh. Well, don't don't kill yourself, man. I mean, I just finished. Oh, on your back. I'm sorry, dude. And then, um, with that, he uh, walks over to like like a servant's area where he's going to collect his tools for now. Are we having a moment? Oh. Is there anything that you want to say to him? Um, I'm I'm really good at drawing. I'm better at drawing. If you need a dragon tattoo, I'm pretty good at that. I've got a lot of. I can do them all styles. The ones with the four legs. The ones that look like lions. The ones that have like extra wings. Um, I can draw dragons kissing each other pretty good. <laughs> he probably understands like a quarter of that, but <laughs> but somehow you manage to put a smile on his face, and he says, "What is your name?" Anagalshu. <laughs> he says, "I am Atamaita." Nice to meet you. I'm Atamaita. Fucking Atamaita. Nice to meet you. <laughs> Sorry about gouging your back out. <laughs> Sorry. If it's any consolation, they'll probably fade pretty soon. <laughs> Is there a tattoo removal place here somewhere? Yeah. I call it the sun. <laughs> Over on Central and Lowry. <laughs> There's a big Garuda in the window. Yeah. Sorry. So, Karahardas. Yes. The next day, Kiru comes to you and points out the gardener through the window down into the courtyard, mm-hmm. who is tending the courtyard now. And she says to you, my father captured him in war. She says, I am also in a war after a manor. He has fallen into enemy hands. You will help me liberate him. I don't know that I'm into that, madam. <laughs> Take a dictation, she says. A letter to my father, Zimri Lim. Very well. So you get your clay, and get mm-hmm. your stylus ready. And she gives you the dictation. This one's an actual letter. Okay. She says to Zimri Lim, of course. You have written me more than once about news of my trip to you, but my husband does not give me leave for the journey. For your information, today I myself have sent you his reply to my request, the request to go and see your father. Mm -hmm. My husband, Hayasumu, said to me, If both you and I go together, to whom shall we leave the care of the city? Until I myself come back here from Mari, stay there. And this is what my husband, Hayasumu, told me. So he's in Mari training troops. At least that's what I've invented for his purpose. Right. But for some reason, he's in Mari in real history. So so he's like, no, you can't go visit your father. She continues. Now, when Hayasumu returns here to the land of Itamaras, which I guess is another word for Ilansara, I don't know. My father should convey through him a chariot and a recliner so that I can come to my lord and father and offer sacrifices to the gods of my father so that I may prosper there. I am all set to go to you. Another matter. I am sending along to you Allah, mm. which, as you recall, was... What's the other? Yeah, the oh other's favorite servant. Yes. Allah is also a name for some sort of Romanian snake dragon. Oh my god. <laughs> Sorry. 
The star, my father and lord, should pay careful attention to her report. You must not reveal this matter to anyone. My father and lord should set me on a queen's throne, act to avoid hurting my feelings. It is upon you alone that I depend. And with that, she finishes her letter, and her lips curl into a smile, and she says to you, Ha ha ha, yes, that will do nicely. An eye for an eye, isn't that what your Hammurabi says, Babylonian? After all, she took my gardener, so I take her beloved servant girl and send her away. Kiru looks quite pleased with herself, yet the smugness does not completely cover up the continuing sense of worry lurking beneath the surface of her expression. The rumor is that she has not yet conceived. <laughs> so you're probably like, phew! <laughs> anyway, back now to Anna Galshu. A week later, you are again summoned by your mistress, Simatu, and commanded to take a dictation yourself. A letter We're from doing Sim a really lousy job as teachers. We're doing a really lousy job as spies. <laughs> you're, you're not supposed to teach. You're just you're just there, like, admins, oh, okay. basically. All yeah. right. I thought yeah. we were tutelary scribes. Yeah, no, you're not supposed to teach them. Okay. There were, there were some, like, Babylonian kings that boasted of their ability to read and write, but they were kind of few and far between. Okay. Generally, it was only scribes, but interestingly, also some merchants who were able to read and well, write. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. But, but, I mean, not kings, but merchants. That's mm -hmm. kind of a cool twist. Yeah. So, anyway. Okay, so she commands you to take a dictation, which will, again, be a letter to her father, Zimri Lin. Oh, thank goodness. I do not want to write on another person's back. <laughs> she complains right. of various matters, including, and this is like... This is an excerpt from the letter, right? Mm -hmm. Another matter. Another matter. Why do they continue to slander me before my lord? Moreover, incredible charges against me are proposed in my lord's presence. Bitches be talking. <laughs> <laughs> Yet another matter. My lord should send me a cylinder seal. He must not refuse it for me. To pick up my calls. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, you actually know full well that she already has a really sweet cylinder seal, a golden one, which was part of her dowry when she was married to Hayasumu. But now, perhaps maybe offended by the fact that you guys have golden cylinder seals too, and it's mm -hmm. like not special anymore, she wants one made of lapis lazuli now. Good lord. Yeah. Madam, I, I I put it to you that we were only exceptionally good in pleading the case of beer. It was nothing. It was weird. We did not aspire to the nature of gods or or, or priestesses or queens. But we, it was, enough, enough babbling. Okay, enough it was, babbling. It was really good though. Let's, let us finish this. Let us finish this letter. And she continues. When I write, I will not be mocked by others who say her seal has no imprinted legend. I need better stuff. And you gather that the legend she refers to is something that would be on her <clears throat> cylinder seal, which marks her as a queen. Three-headed dragon. Which, in your character doesn't know this, but you know, Karahata knows that, um, like, Kiru was asking me to be named the status of queen. Right. She's asking me to be named the status yeah, of queen. queen. There's clearly, you know, some, some kind of, like, rivalry game going on right. here about this, right? Okay. So, that's, that's my inference, anyway, from the actual historical letters. Sounds like. Yeah. So, okay. Uh, elsewhere in her letter, Sumatu discusses the incident with her sister over control of the garden keeper and tells the king, not to worry, everything's cool, we've kissed and made up. Um, 
and by means of a sacred oath, and she says, with no guilt on my part. <laughs> That's part of the quote, actually. And after that, the, the letter is finished, and send it off. Hope everything. the weather is good where you are. Say hi to mom. Uh, X- hope that oh, Snuffles X-O. and Winky and, and Poo Poo are all doing good. <laughs> um, after that, as time goes on, Hammurabi's campaign concludes with a crushing victory over the Ilamites. Yeah, fuck the Ilamites! <laughs> and Hayasumu Sorry, returns dude. to Ilansura. With this, court life carries on, and you try to keep your head down while enduring the drudgery, all the while making your secret reports back to Hammurabi. Bitches are crazy. Please let us come home. <laughs> you have no shortage of things to report, as the intrigue at court is quite intense. I had to write on a dude's back. <laughs> More goes on than you manage to gain privy to, but you get glimpses through the letters you are called to transcribe, such as we just heard. Mm-hmm. Uh, another example, Nick. So Karahardas is uh, asked by Kiro to take another dictation, again to her father, Zimri Lin, in which she says, Yarim Dagan, which is actually going to be the deliverer of this message, the messenger, can tell you about my situation. My lord should pay attention to him. Another matter. I swear it by my lord and by myself. He, meaning Hayasumu, killed Dimri Hamu. They say a lion killed him and two women as well. My lord should listen to this matter and send me an answer to my letter. A lion and two women. So that sounds like the cover story. That's what I'm gathering. But she thinks it was him. So I don't know what that intrigue was, but there's something going on at court, right? The women held him down and the lion did the job. Yeah, I just want to picture how this cover story works. <laughs> then something occurs that Not dramatically changes the balance of power between the two sisters. Oh, boy. Simatu, the first wife, conceives. <gasps> and nine months later, she gives birth. Anagalshu is asked to take a dictation. Oh. One line of which is, I give birth to twins, a boy and a girl. My lord should be pleased. Double the fun! (laughs) Please welcome... What are their names? (laughs) I don't know. Okay. Uh, Shower, we need uh, booties, diapers. Lots of diapers. Lots of diapers. Uh, One of those really nice little double-backed baby bumpers. (laughs) Strollers. A really nice stroller for twins. Yeah. Everything in twos. Cute matching outfits. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lapis, lazuli, lapis lazuli seals for both of them. Yeah, we take we, we get some like Ann Getty's pictures of them uh, in little Dagon's <laughs> costumes. Oh. Yeah. In lettuce patches. <laughs> oh my yeah. god, uh. yes! <laughs> <laughs> no, that can get you arrested. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you're not careful. Uh, anyway, this puts Kiru now in dire straits. Because Simatu's status as an alpha female is now secured, the king now has a legitimate heir, and so Kiru is no longer indispensable. She too actually conceives very quickly after this, believe it or not, but it's kind of a day late and a dollar short. But here's the thing. She gives birth to a boy, and even though that's what she's always wanted, it kind of puts her in more danger than ever, because... Uh, even though Sumatu's son was born first, that doesn't necessarily guarantee that the throne will be his. I don't think. I don't think that primogeniture was developed in this 
cult until much later. Is it one and of those things where whichever kid kills the other one first? Well, Gilded cage! Gilded inferring cage! Inferring from later Middle Eastern cultures, well, I yeah, think it says... Like, yeah. Enjoy your All time. All or Ottoman style. In the yeah. harem, you're probably gonna go nuts. Yeah. Or have them cut off. So... That means that um, anything could happen to the child, leaving only the other to inherit the power, and pity should an accident happen. You but, know? but what about the girl heir? What about her? Eh, if the other two go bomb, I guess. <laughs> so Can the two sons are basically destined to be rivals at this point, which means that their mothers are now more rivals than ever. It also gives the rest of the court a cause around which to focus their intrigue. And the hotter the tension grows, the more tight-lipped those at court become until you start to, dis- to suspect that fantastic secrets are being kept. So a conspiracy seems like it might be brewing. Meanwhile, you get word from Babylon. You hear that, Fred? Brewing, not mm-hmm. baking. No yeah. one bakes a conspiracy. <laughs> oh, snap. Meanwhile, you get word from Babylon that Hammurabi is on the warpath once again. Fucking yeah. Elamites. No, actually, the Elamites were were taken down a notch. Woo! Yeah. This time, it's against the southern Mesopotamian city of Larsa. And the pretext is that Larsa failed to sufficiently aid Hammurabi in this war against the Elamites. Um, Fucking Elamites. But uh, by now, <laughs> you've basically witnessed enough, like, kind of duplicitousness and other kind of, like, hidden agendas and stuff at court that you kind of suspect this might be a cover story for an attempt to extend influence over the southern region. So, in other words, both abroad and at home, tensions are simmering. And then, Anagalshu, Mm -hmm. one day, you hear a rumor that your mistress, Simatu, has dispatched a messenger with a letter to Elam. (gasps) Fucking Elamites! Fucking Elamites! Strangely, you were not called to transcribe this letter. Oh, boy. Join up with Team Kiru. Uh, um, we're not on teams. We're serving Babylon. She made me make t-shirts. <laughs> yeah, she made you do other things. That same day, another rumor flies through the palace staff like a wildfire. Word is that Hayasumu asked Kiru to come with him on a short journey, but Kiru refused, perhaps maybe suspecting some kind of plot from you know this conspiracy, something mm-hmm. her sister has brewing. And... Upon her refusal, Hayasumu then said, If you do not come with me, I will kill you with a bronze dagger and then go. That's an actual quote. Not long after catching wind of this, Karahardis, you receive an order from Simatu that you are to be reassigned to the archival library in Mari, and you are hereby forbidden to serve Kiru any longer. You get to go to the library? But we've always served together, sort of. And can you put some of my work in there? Just, you know, the better stuff, not the early Wait, stuff. Wait, Samach- Samach is the older sister? Yeah. Oh. Mm-hmm. Why is she giving me orders? She doesn't give me orders. Whoa. Well, she's still the, the authoritative the, first wife yes, in that's the true. household. Yeah. So as you are packing your things, Kiru appears in your quarters, clearly distraught. She falls before you. Uh-oh supplicating you and grasping you by the knees and says, Dubsar, Karahardis, which she's never called you by your actual name before. Oh my god, this is great. I'm losing this from my notes. How long have you served me? I have always treated you well, have I not? Now, serve me once more in my time of need. So hot! You must take a letter immediately. 
Do you do it? Yeah. Okay. You've yeah. just been re- forbidden to. But you do it? Yeah. Okay. All right. Very good. So you prepare your tablet. Mm-hmm. And uh, the letter, she dictates a letter. This is again to her father, Zimri Lin. And part of it writes, In a fancy house, I am held until death, as you already know. I am now sending the hair from my skull and the tatters that are torn from my body, handing them to the care of the carrier of this letter. Uh, well, okay, wow. That I thought I was writing gory stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, a note in the book I read said that the hair and tatters are probably for use in a ritual for taking omens through ecstasy. And that's the like divination by entrails one. I think it's the same mm. as haruspexy. Yeah. Um, and I would assume that this would be to verify the truth of what she's saying as against the word of her sister. That's my inference. So oh my maybe they need God. part of her actual like sure. body in order to do the ritual. Wow. She continues in the letter. Then he arose, Hayasumu, to say in my presence, are you posted here as a resident commissioner? Since I plan to have you killed, he should come. Your star, meaning her father, because that's what she calls him, and take you back. She, meaning Simatu, took away my remaining servants, saying, My lord has decided it. My lord should send me just one reliable advisor, but from among his trustworthy servants, so that I might be fetched back promptly. Then she arose, Simatu, and she said in my presence, My star, meaning the father again, May do what he wishes to me, for I mean to do what I wish to you. <laughs> Isn't that a good line? Yes, That's from the actual letter. If my lord plans to leave me here rather than fetch me, I will surely die and not survive. And that is the end of her letter. Finally, at the end of that day, an announcement is made. Kiru has been accused of adultery. <gasps> Accurate. She is to be tried by plunge into the river, a trial by ordeal in which the river, itself considered divine, adjudicates guilt or innocence. Emerging successfully means innocence, while being swept away indicates guilt. Kiru, I love to have the trial reassigned to the really sluggish season. <laughs> <laughs> Kiru is currently under house arrest in the palace awaiting her trial. Currently? <laughs> Sorry. Nice. Now, at this point, I have to make a little comp- confession. Um, my historian's conscience compels me to confess that although there actually was a trial at this time on, during her Hayasumu's reign, it was kind of boring. It was like a land dispute between Hayasumu and some guy. But so here, I'm kind of making it more interesting by making I'm it Kira's trial. So that is a is some poetic license. But nevertheless, all right, let's take it home. Uh, So trial by ordeal, which may seem to us today like a completely irrational way to decide, you know, the fate of somebody or to administer justice. And we got reality television. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) From the perspective of the Mesopotamians, remember, in their view... Everything that happens in nature is the writing of the gods. Just as your writing on the tablet is the writing of man, events that happen in nature is the writing of the gods and their messages to us. So if, you know, somebody drowns in a river or doesn't, that makes sense within their worldview of like, oh, this is what the gods are telling us, you know. 
So that's kind of how I make sense of it, at least. Why do the gods want the stupid sheep following us everywhere? <laughs> <laughs> Nor is a trial by ordeal uh, invoked lightly. For actually, if you if you accuse somebody and it goes to trial by ordeal and then they fail, you yeah. could be killed or suffer the same punishment that they would. Right. So there's consequences for levying that kind of yeah. accusation. There's consequences usually. Although I've I've seen at least one or two where they aren't killed. Um, and this one where Hayasumu, the actual one with Hayasumu, he's not killed. But um, So not always, but it could be definitely dangerous to accuse someone. So it's relatively rare. Um, so do I have time to make a Jamari and have the king send someone back before the trial takes place? Or is this just it? Do you send any word to Hammurabi? Do we do anything about this? Or is this just sort of, are we just sort of like... I don't know that he'd care. I know. Well, I mean, it would be interesting, though, because he has the inside scoop now on what's going on in the in the kingdom yeah. adjacent to Mamari. I'm assuming we're keeping him updated. Okay. Just wondering. So anyway, um, trials by ordeal are, of course, held at a river, but it's actually not just any river um, or any place along the river. Trials often required traveling a considerable distance, often to a place called Heat, H-I-T, Hit or Heat, mm. um, which is on the Euphrates, about halfway between Mari and Babylon, and on the border between their zones of influence. And I'm not sure if that's significant or not. This no doubt reflects some kind of age-old occult tradition at this place called Heat. Mm. Um, perhaps even the origin place of the ordeal? It's hard to say. I also imagine that you actually probably have to find a place in the river where it's neither too easy nor too difficult to perform the ordeal. Right. Uh, so it has to be, it's not just anywhere. Yeah. yeah. And also, it seemed that it wasn't just necessary to cross the river. There might also be a task that you have to perform, such as having to lift a millstone and carry it across to the other side of the river, or having to swim a specified distance in the heart of the god, quote unquote, which mm -hmm. meant underwater. Ah. Yeah. So, finally, much as in a modern court trial, where you do not defend yourself personally, but appoint a representative, we would do a lawyer, in this case as well, you might have a champion plunge into the river for you. And carry your millstone for you. And... Yes, yes, and all of that. Okay. And <laughs> even, even a whole team of champions may do so. And that, I gather, is kind of like a best of seven kind of idea, okay. you know? So, like, Eh, half of them made it, so that's, you know. To rich people always get off, they can hire the best swimmers. Yeah. Well, interestingly, so in the actual case with Hayasumu, mm -hmm. he has an old man and a bunch of women do it for huh. his team. Really? Yes. And it, it, it's it's a matter of speculation why. The author that I read speculated that maybe it was like, I'm so confident of my case that even an old man and women could prove me correct. The you god know? will still vindicate me. Exactly. Yeah. With I don't this. know. I, I, I don't. I don't know. So anyway. A statement of profound innocence. Yeah. So back to the actual action of the scene here. As for Kiru's case... She is brought before a public assembly of courtiers, officials, and high-status citizens and publicly accused by Sumatu of adultery. Then a priest asks her, If you deny this crime, what champion shall plunge for you to prove your innocence? All of her servants, having been taken away and not knowing who else to trust, her gaze lands upon her faithful Dubsar, who more than once now has helped her in a time of need, and she says, I choose Karahardas. Oh. 
<laughs> the crowd murmurs with approval, but Simatu hushes them, and she says, "Is one alone sufficient for so momentous a task?" Yes, I have advantage in this kind of trial. <laughs> Look at your stat sheets, God. <laughs> and she declares, This is, after all, a princess and my very own sister, and despite her clear guilt, she shall be accorded due honors. Therefore, I volunteer one of my own to join her champion. Let the Babylonian plunge as well. Yes. Wait. And everybody looks at on a gulf. Wait, what? Huh? Oh boy, they <laughs> and, rumbled us. And from the way that she sneers Babylonian, oh, and mm. also from the righteous shouts that follow from some of the courtiers. Fucking Babylonians! <laughs> you get the impression that more than local politics may be involved here. Uh, do you think they intercepted any of our coded things? Just out of curiosity. We did them right, didn't we? Well, yeah, but I mean, you know, they accept it, and it's all kind of gibberish. But the priest interjects, A team of two is unprecedented. If one emerges from the river but the other is taken, a third shall be needed. To which Sumatu declares, It shall not happen, for her guilt is clear. So confident am I of this that I volunteer my strongest swimmer for the third. Hi, and so... The fix is in, we're gonna drown. Yeah. Dude, he's well, still mad about his back. Actually, if actually, so he would be defending Kiru. No, I... yeah, but also let's just let's be honest here. It's a convenient way of obviously she gets drowned and then the two spies also get drowned. Yeah, yeah. this is what the fix looks like. Well, Where's Kiru screwed? doesn't get drowned, so Kiru doesn't have to dive. You're their her champion, so she doesn't actually right, do so the dive. So the gardener just drowns us. It's you two, fucking Elamites. and the gardener. Elamites. <laughs> Oh god, we're getting disposed of. Man, come on, we were cool. You said she had nice hair. Yeah. And she further adds, I volunteer this champion in the event of a tie, and moreover, when my accusation is vindicated, I shall free the Elamite. And the way she says Elamite, in contrast to the way she said Babylonian, you get the impression that politics is going a slightly different way than it used to be. Fucking Elamites. The crowd resounds with awestruck cheers at this. Meanwhile, Kiru stands stoically, refusing to betray her consternation before the public. The next day, a great procession sets out for the site of the ordeal. Don't worry, I'm a good swimmer. The town of Hit on the Euphrates. Normally, it would take almost a week on foot, but the entire procession has provided carts and asses to speed it along. Maybe to get it done quickly before Hammurabi can come... Saver? The hit is in. Thing. It right. is. All right. All right. Let's write some last-minute letters to Hammurabi, letting him know what happened. Okay. Or, or before Zimri Lim can come and save her, maybe. Yeah. Maybe some to both. Yeah. yeah. I hope you're doing well. Uh, we're, <laughs> the weather's nice here. We're going to be drowned richly. Um. Yeah, it, it, it turns out the, the um, wife is actually guilty of adultery, but Babylonians <laughs> seem to be... Not looked upon with favor in this court, and they're courting fucking Elamites. Kahadras you might want to come and put a stop to this, oh great king. Boned <laughs> this lady, but it was a while ago. I don't know if the, is the kid yours. He smells a bit, but he's a he's two. So I mean, that's par for the course. <laughs> All right, I, so, I'm going to tell my mom he's mine. Oh, so in other words, you, nice. you inform Hammurabi of the uh, yes. the Elamite persuasion here. Yes. Yeah. Okay. We served you faithfully. Please remember this when it comes to disseminating my written works. 
tell my mom that potentially if he winds up being able to shank his brother, the future king of Ilansura is part of our lineage. <laughs> also, copyright, nice all rights reserved. Farmer have arrived. Very nice. The jig is up, the news is out, they finally found us. <laughs> <laughs> the renegade. <laughs> nice. He managed to... Is that sticks? Yeah. He managed to work in a sticks reference. The <laughs> river Props. seemed topical. Yes. <laughs> Very good. Oh, that's even better. Anyway. All um, we are is dust in the wind. All we are is dust in the wind. Kiru is transported inside an ornate litter. That's in a cord. Yeah, I know, but we can tell the difference. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, we're going to get letters. Kiru is transported inside an ornate litter in accord with the status of a princess, but you can clearly see that the doors of it are locked against any attempt at escape. Meanwhile, each of you are attended by an armed guard, with three armed guards on Atamaitu, uh, to ensure the sincerity of your commitment to the princess's respective cause. Finally, you reach Hit. Kiru is shown to a specially prepared ritual tent where she holds vigil through the night, uttering ritual formulae and having water poured over her hands. The next morning, in the cold light of dawn, all gather at the river's edge. And Kira's hands are really wrinkly. <laughs> right, the water looks cold. She's got too. raisin hands. Yep. A great throng of locals gather to witness the gory spectacle. Gory? And yeah, I did. Watery spectacle? Foamy spectacle? Foamy is better. A foamy spectacle. I didn't know we were going to bleed. <laughs> Those rocks do look kind of sharp. Oh, yeah. an, an earthen platform has been raised up. Man. And Kiru is perched atop it. In ceremonious decorum, speeches stating exactly what she is accused of, adultery with an unnamed stranger while engaged to be married just before her wedding night, and multiple times after, and also sorcery and treason, just just for good measure. They throw it all in. Kiru, of course, denies all these accusations. Then it is time for the champions to prove her guilt or innocence. The current of the river is strong this morning, and your task is to swim underwater at least 100 cubits, which I looked up is roughly equal to 50 yards, or kind of like 50 meters. Do I have to wear my diaphanous robe thing, or do I have like a <laughs> battle bikini? It's up to you. Okay. Made out of clay. Oh, <laughs> 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 All right. Um, so, shall we go ahead and do our test? Uh, yeah. can, I, can I check what our fucking Elamite's doing? Is he just sort of looking at us in an appraisal? Well, he's the third, so you guys are going So we, if we both succeed, he doesn't go at all. Okay. Yeah. So we yeah. don't all have to go at once, and he's not necessarily dragging us into the water to kill no, us. No, I was relieved to hear that. I Thank don't God. think he's doing that. Okay. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Yeah, you don't all go at once. Okay. You go one at a time. You gotta do good, Carhartus. Right. You yeah. gotta do you good. You go first. What? The presiding priest says that the, the champion chosen by uh, Kiru shall swim Very first. Well. All right. All so right. you are a country kid. Mm-hmm. So due to your background, you have advantage because you're tough. Yes. All right. Okay. So that means that on a tie, you win. Mm-hmm. All right. Are you ready? I am ready. Rock, paper, raven, shoot. <gasps> you win. Yeah. Oh, 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 oh. So you dive into the icy waters and you're underwater and everybody looking on is like, Looking, looking, looking for any sign, any bubbles, anything to indicate that you're still alive down there. And it's dripping with anticipation. And then, sploosh, you come up out of the water 100 cubits away. And you're like, yeah! Oh my god! Babylon! 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 Babylon!
By the waters of Avalon, I stood up and cheered. <laughs> somebody, <laughs> somebody with a scoreboard is like Sorry, ticking one on <laughs> like. Yeah. But um, okay, it is time for the second. So why does the second? I'm still not quite yeah. understanding why the second one has to do it. If the yeah, first the first one, one, one kind of proved it. I mean, it's best two point, out of three. Two, yeah, it's best two out of three. Okay. Um, yeah. Like so, um, muscle dude. I mean, you know, you're good at this, right? I mean, you. You are the second. He is the third. It has already been decreed. Okay. All right, ready? Okay. All right, here we go. Rock, paper, raven, shoot. Oh, you oh. win! Oh! Oh, oh wow. Excellent. Oh, my so God. You dive in. Again, a long moment of anticipation. No one expects that she'll be able to do as good as the country kid, but... <laughs> Man! Shut up! <laughs> oh my god, dragons are fake! I hate dragons! Fuck dragons! Oh my god! Did you meet Dagon down there? Yeah, he's a dick! <laughs> oh. I thought that's what you wanted. No, it's not what I wanted! Wait. So you emerge, Wait, and with that, Kiru is vindicated, and everybody cheers, and uh, Sumatu is like, no, 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 no! This can't be happening! <laughs> <laughs> oh god. And uh, you catch uh, eyes with uh, the Elamite slave again, the gardener, mm-hmm. who, of course, is like, yeah, he's giving yeah. you the thumbs up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because now he's free. Yeah. She declared it in front of everybody. Yeah. Uh, so. Do this uh, for you, you fucking Elamite. <laughs> um, Kiru is vindicated. She is released. And according to her wishes, she demands a divorce from Hayasumu. And I'm not sure that a woman can just ask for a divorce, but she convinces, with the influence that she holds, she convinces the males, who are probably the ones deciding how things go, to actually grant her a divorce from Hayasumu. Wait, wait, wait. He's so, threatened to kill me with a bronze dagger. Exactly. I think this is crowns. <laughs> I think this is... And he doesn't want to go to therapy, so... Yeah. <laughs> no, seriously, though. Wait, so everybody gets what they want. She doesn't have to be married to him, and she gets to go back to safety. Her kid's no longer in the line of secession. The evil sister basically gets her thing. Everything's fine. Well, uh, so Sumatu does get to be now just the... the primary queen. The primary, but she's suffered a great dishonor by being proved uh, a liar, basically, a with point. the accusation. Loss of and, face. and that would be a huge, huge loss of face. So anyway, to bring this episode to a close, in actual history, shortly after the trial, uh, Murray supports several northern cities who rebel against Hammurabi while he is tied up in the south. Mm-hmm. Oh. Hammurabi eventually subdues Larsa in the south and then turns and crushes the northern cities and Mari as well, establishing dominance over the entire Fertile Crescent region. And that's what establishes the first Babylonian Empire. So, we helped! So, Kira, I'm pretty sure the Hammurabi is on the up and up. You might want to, like, cut your losses with your dad, and you can come with me to Babylon if you want. He's got a great like, beard. Well, we, we have shared some good moments. I remember a p- particular commoner's tavern. Anyway. Um, yeah, that was kind of terrifying. But um... <laughs> Can we take the Elamite with us? <laughs> Sure. He's, free. He he's free to do as he likes now. Fucking Elamites. Yeah, come on, man. You're cool. He can, we'll take the sheep. We'll go. We'll all go back together. It'll be like... We'll rent an apartment. Yeah. 
Rents are pretty good over there. Anyway, after Hammurabi's death, the empire would disintegrate rapidly, unfortunately, having no naturally defensible borders and thus being prone to attack from all sides. However, Babylon would continue to be a powerful player in Mesopotamia for ages to come. And that is where we shall conclude our role-playing game for this epic series. Stay tuned for the sequel, the Neo-Babylonian Empire. (laughs) Exactly. Fucking (laughs) Neo-Elamites. By way of... By way of historical note, again, like I said, all the letters were 100% accurate to how they are in the cuneiform texts, to the best of you know how I get them in the English translation. And uh, some details, of course, I did have to, have to interpret creatively. For example, Allah is mentioned in the letters, but without explanation as to who she is. So I made her Somatu's favorite servant girl to be used as a pawn between the sisters. Archaeologists so. are still looking for the three-headed dragon fan fiction. They're pretty <laughs> convinced it's out there. I destroyed it all. Yeah. Also, the gardener is mentioned in the letters, but again, without description. So I decided to make him an Elamite slave and gave him the name, etc. I did do, like I said, a tiny bit of shoehorning there, since um, actually tattooing of slaves, according to the author I read, actually only happened in the first millennium BCE, whereas in this one we were in the second millennium BCE, Mm. but eh, pretty close and too cold to pass up, right? Yeah. And then, of course, um, I changed the actual case that was being tried, so to make it about Kiro. But other than that, everything was as accurate as I could make it. If you want to read more about this, you can find all the references at our website, www.deadideas.net, along with maps, pics, and more. Next, we'll be back with something different. I'm not sure exactly which topic that we're going to dive into next, but we've got a lot on the docket, including food, beer, sex, erotic poetry. All of that is coming up. Thursday night. (laughs) With dragons. (laughs) And we are going to have a grand finale mashup episode for this epic series. Uh, We've already obtained the soundtrack for it, even. I will keep all of that a secret for now, just to tease you, but let me say it's going to be good. And dear listener, if you have faith that we are going to deliver on these promises for the rest of this series, faith enough that you would plunge into the river for us, well, we'll make it a whole lot easier for you. Why not just support the show? You can help us keep this great content coming and get your portrait drawn as well by contributing at www.patreon.com forward slash deadideaspod. All right, that's it for today. Nick and Anna, thank you for being on the show once again. We'll see you next week, everybody. I'm VT Newberg, and this is Dead Ideas. Fucking Elamites! That's I almost closed with that, but. Struck by the weapon!